Welcome to the Voice Hacks Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Z. On the Voice Hacks Podcast, I'll be talking to some of rock and metal's best singers, coaches, and experts about what goes into the mysterious and amazing sounds we make with our voices. If you like this podcast, please help spread the word by sharing it with your friends, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram, and tag me and my guests. I'm at Metal Mary Z on Instagram. Don't forget to leave the show a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, follow me on YouTube at Voice Hacks by Mary Z. Let's get into it. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Voice Hacks podcast. I have an awesome guest today that I'm incredibly stoked to have because we're going to pick his brain and learn a lot about the really unique things that he does on YouTube. And this is Gavin Dunn of Miracle of Sound. Welcome to the Voice Hacks podcast. I'm so stoked to have you. <laughs> really what I'm stoked about is I think what you do on YouTube, if anyone follows the Miracle of Sound, which I'm certain a lot of people here do, you're getting close to, not quite to the million, but it's around the corner. It's like around almost 700,000 subscribers at this point. Yeah. So it's made a big dent there. And you've been at this a minute, though. That's a, an interesting topic to start with. I have noticed, actually, that a lot of newer channels gain subscribers a lot quicker than the old school ones like mine, because my channel has been around for like over a decade now. And the rate of subscribers goes so slowly compared to some of the newer channels who maybe they're just better at promoting that because I never put anything in my videos saying, oh, please subscribe or anything like that. And uh, I, my subscribers grow so slowly, even when the views are like so much more <laughs> than some other people who are gaining subs at a much faster rate. I'm like, hmm, that's an interesting. What am I what am I doing wrong there? But in, at the end of the day, it's the views is the number that matters most to me because that shows me the, the actual videos are doing well. You know, this brings up to the listeners that some, you know, to kind of talk about what your channel is content wise. But I think one reason for that is, is I, I notice a huge difference in the sub to view ratio of original music artists versus YouTubers. My sub to view ratio, and I'm not even you know, that fast as someone like Nick Nocturnal, who just racks him up, you know, um, he's a machine putting out the content. But the thing is, is it's not an individual music artist. And I think what you're doing is uh, very similar to like, in, in some ways, it's in other ways, we're gonna talk about how different it is, but like a band, you'll notice bands don't have a very good sub to view ratio. I think that might that might be it. But let's go back because I did want to start with what you talked about. And you started over a decade ago. So how would you describe what you make on your channel content wise? Ooh, it's so hard to describe because it's like it changes for me every year. You know, it's uh, um, a lot of the songs I make are heavily steeped in, I suppose, nerd culture, like video game stories or Game of Thrones or I kind of like to write stories from the perspectives of the characters in those. I, I grew up on Iron Maiden and Kate Bush and, and stuff like that. So I and, and they they tend to do that. So like, you know, there's the Iron Maiden song, The Prisoner. Basically, that is like 80% of what I do. And that tends to be the most popular stuff. Songs from the perspectives of characters in like video games or Game of Thrones or, you know, mythological figures is one I'm kind of interested in as well. Like last year, I put out a song about Cú uh, Cullen, who's Ireland's most famous anti-hero from the mythological times. And that did really well. I was really surprised. Yeah, these days I'm trying to branch out a little bit and do uh, like the last song I put out was just a sea shanty. So... <laughs> Oh, yes. To everybody that's looking at your channel, I mean, what you're doing is sort of tremendous, though. You do entirely original music that you write. Yeah. And you're not doing um, covers of things or tributes of things. Have you ever done a cover? I got so many requests to do covers of certain songs and video game soundtracks. And I have a flat out rule that I don't do it because the moment I start doing that, that's all my comment section is going to become is requests for cover versions. When I was first starting out in music, when I, a very long time ago, because I picked up my first guitar in 1995 at the age of 15. <laughs> and nice. I remember, 
I remember doing my first solo gig a few years later because I had been in a band and I I did a solo gig and for the entire gig people were kind of oh, yeah this nice whatever and at the end of the gig I did a cover version it was Rhythm is a Dancer by Snap oh yes really? and everyone went crazy and was dancing it was like woo, woo, woo. and I was kind of like hmm this feels kind of shitty I they're the most excited about the stuff that isn't my song. So from that moment, I was like decided that I'm going to become a such a good songwriter that it'll be my songs that other people want to cover. That That's what I want to be known for is my songwriting and my composition. And I don't want to be known as um, the guy who covers other people's work. But not to say that isn't a valid career path. It absolutely is. But it just wasn't the one I want. Um, I have one cover version on my YouTube channel and it's a cover version of Over the Rainbow because it's my wife's favorite song and I made that song as a present for her. And many, many times people have used that as a counter argument to I don't want to make cover versions. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, but this is different. It's a special gift for my wife. Yeah, that's different. You know, doing something uniquely special for someone like that, you know. But what that's what I admire you the most about is doing original music because you haven't done YouTube. I mean, you joined YouTube before there was sort of a thing of people like trying to leverage the algorithm you know (laughs) i've never taken that into consideration and it's probably done me no favors like there are people who do a similar thing to what i do um there's like a whole genre of guys and they call themselves like nerdcore and they are so good at like putting stuff out like once every two weeks they have schedules they're so good with all the algorithmic stuff I just put out a song whenever it comes out <laughs> you know I when whenever the inspiration's there I used to try and feed into the algorithm around 2014 2015 I was putting out 30 30 original songs per year oh my god when you're writing mixing recording producing mastering that shit all yourself and I was editing the videos I was doing all the production I pretty much had a nervous breakdown. (laughs) Oh, my God. I went to therapy for two years. I feel you so much when you're saying that. Just I can't even keep up with that one tenth of that kind of content for the same kind of reasons. It's it's just so stressful. But in your case, I mean, you sing, you play all the instruments. And I mean, this is way there's no band here to do it for you. You know, no, it was just me staring at Cubase for like, you know, 100 hours a week every week and uh, it just it was it was because of I, I i kind of was feeling i have to keep up if i don't put something out all the time the algorithm's gonna fuck my channel oh can i swear on this podcast by the oh way? yes yes <laughs> okay. yes you can i was like <laughs> but uh yeah the algorithm is a, is a cruel mistress and um but funny enough since then i slowed down a lot like i slowed down in the last couple of years to about 12 songs per year 10 to 12 and uh it didn't really affect my channel that much But then last year, of course, that one song completely exploded. So my views, I've I've only put out two songs this year, uh, one of which is a remake. The song that exploded, I would imagine, is the Valhalla Calling. Valhalla Calling, yeah. Yeah, because I was looking earlier today and I was like, 25 million views. Damn. That's only my video. There's other videos people have put on YouTube that adds another 15 million to that. So. Oh my God! And then, and then, and then, you know what was interesting? Talk about intention and manifestation, because you were talking about how you wanted to have your songs be so good that other people would cover them. And I, I swear, did I saw you post a somebody covering that the other day? Um, um, on, that on song has, yeah, that song has so many cover versions now, and it's been a blessing and a curse. Um, on the plus side, there's uh, there's a lad called Peyton Parrish who did a version of it. And because he's huge on TikTok, his version just exploded there. And um, so wow. we're now going to do a version of the song together to get like both audiences in on it. But it's had like a real downside as well, because uh, like the, the biggest example of the negative for me was pro- kind of my own fault. Um, I had this very idealistic view that I didn't want my music to be in the copyright bots on YouTube, that I want people to use my work and be free to use it. Unfortunately, on the internet, no good deed ever goes unpunished. And somebody uploaded my song onto a publisher. They took my piece of music. They didn't record new music. They used one of those shitty filters to take the vocals out, sang their vocal over it, uploaded this through a distributor, and I got a copyright strike on my Valhalla Calling video 
Oh my God. Because I, in inverted commas, was using that person's song. So I was really pissed off over this. And that was like, okay, there's no more Mr. Nice Guy now with the copyright stuff. Unfortunately, I had to put my music. No, you can't. All back into the bot. And now I'm making way more money because I'm taking money from everyone who uses my video, my music in their videos. But I didn't want to do that. But it's not really taking. Again, these folks are, uh, people don't remember the time, the before times. You and I do, but... (laughs) Someone who's 22, you know, maybe doesn't remember the before times where how difficult it would be to license something or even just sample something, how much of a royalty thing. And I think I feel relieved, honestly, knowing that. uh, So the bots will take away monetization from people using the content, but as they should, you know, I feel like relieved knowing that. If I, you know, cover someone's song, that that original songwriter gets their cut of that, that I think is totally fair. It was generous of you, but I think it's fair. I agree. But um, with a caveat, I feel like YouTube should have a better system in place to do splits. So if someone Mm -hmm. wants to make their own music video for my song and they put a lot of effort into the video and I know it's going to help promote my work. Because like I said, that song, my version of that song has another 15 million views coming in from videos that other people have made with like footage from Vikings or whatever, you know, and, um, and I'm kind of my, my thing on that was always, you can do that all you want, just don't monetize it. But now what happens is they do it and I monetize it for myself. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's the there's no there's no middle ground with YouTube. There's it's just black or white. You do this or you don't. And I, I feel that's unfortunate. And I would love if they had a more uh, a better system where you could split split the profits with people, you know? Yes. Well, and, and I feel like that has evolved in a way like as far as audio goes, it will split it like if it's a cover version, it'll give the, the writers the legally uh, apportioned writers share. If the person credits you as the writer. <laughs> Which is yes, that's that's true. I've seen versions of my song on Spotify even uh, that what says written written by and the artist who did the cover and uh, oh, that's tough. I'm, I never, I'm never okay with that. That is not that is not cool. Yeah, I had to get a lawyer this year because of that kind of stuff because I've ne- because I've I've never had a song blow up this much before. I've my stuff was always pretty like it would five six million views a, a, a bigger song would do that much but when a song is getting this much traction this fast yeah there's a lot of people out there will look at that and go oh i want a piece of that for myself that thing of yours is mine yes now. <laughs> yes well and and it's such a crazy era of intellectual property because it used to be again uh back in the more analog times these very defined lines and the whole reason that a reaction video is even legally possible is because we have these digital attempts at royalty to distribution but yeah it can get really gnarly i mean it's even happened to me and my channel is much smaller and um where uh people have taken the whole video and re-uploaded it you know and and all of that stuff and and so even on the most modest scale i can't imagine what you're going through and that's super smart you have to have the entertainment lawyer the intellectual property folks and it does suck but having you talk about it here i think helps people understand that when an artist does this, it's not because you have this, it has to tie in with your rights of ownership. Yeah. And if we don't do it, someone else is going to. Mm-hmm. If we don't take our money, someone is going to steal it from us. And their YouTube doesn't give us any way to protect. Uh, I'm working though with a company called Pretzel, who are fantastic. And they basically, they, they started off as a way for artists to make money from Twitch. So Twitch streamers use my songs like so much because it, it, because they cross over with the whole gaming sphere and stuff. And uh, Pretzel, basically, they have a way for the streamers to do that legitimately. And uh, then I earn money through their advertising and whatever. And it's great. But they also uh, are now helping me with copyright management. Let's continue talking about you as an artist. So this is fantastic. You're actually another fun fact that I love because I think, honestly, what you're proving here are many of the things that I've said about YouTube all the time. And it's not about like going viral. I believe talent, good writing and good content is 
a natural algorithmic boost. And you're not only living proof of that, but here's something else that I think is interesting is you're not even in any of your videos. <laughs> like you make videos of the character that it's about. I agree with you, like maybe 60, 70 percent. OK. Yeah, there's like I, I just think, unfortunately, there are so many cases where um, people who are extremely talented and skilled and make amazing music don't make it. And uh, I've known a lot of those people. And like the entire reason Miracle of Sound started in the first place for me was because um, my old band failed and I had put a decade of work into that band and we had a record deal. We spent an entire year recording an album in a in a great studio and just none of the record major labels were signing rock music anymore in 2008, uh, 2009. It was just on the way out. So we just, our, our decade was <laughs> wasted. So I was like really depressed because uh, it was my project. It was sim. It was like basically I wrote all the songs. I produced them. It was my life's work, and uh, I would literally Miracle of Sound started when I just started writing joke video game songs to cheer myself up and put them on the internet. And it didn't evolve into doing more serious, proper songs until a little bit later. Because it, when it when this wow. started, I was just doing like memes, meme songs, like. Really? I did not realize it started as sort of humorous content because you are such a great songwriter. So um, when did you realize that, OK, I could write some some more uh, direct, more intentional, less meme stuff? Towards the beginning, but um, like a lot of the early stuff, I my audience don't like when I say this, but I'm not a fan of any of my early not I like some of the early songs, but I kind of cringe at a lot of them because I'm like directly dropping names of characters and it's very nerd culture. It's very memes. It's very. Whereas nowadays, uh, the way I write is completely different in that if you've never played a video game in your life, you can hear this song and enjoy it for the themes and this, the kind of overall feel and emotion that's in it. And mm -hmm. I much prefer writing that way. Um, and it's much more popular this way. But yeah, when it started, it was like there was literally a song called Gordon Freeman Save My Life. Like <laughs> there was a song called just called Commander Shepherd that blew up. That was the first song that kind of got popular. Wow. Nothing, compar nothing compared to now, but it was the first song that kind of got popular. And there's still people who remember me as the Commander Shepherd guy from 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god and that's so interesting yeah. because 10 years ago it was like we didn't know what youtube was going to be there really wasn't a such thing as a youtube -er. exactly yeah it was the wild west it was like i had put up some documentaries of my band that was on century media records recording with this producer jason sukoff and you know we also put them up really like a long time ago 2008 2007 and it, uh, thinking back to that era of YouTube, it's a whole different landscape of what the way, I mean, the way you approach videos and content now is a different, it's a whole different thing. You were way ahead of the game with that, I feel. Yeah. And, and I wasn't even the first to do it. There were other lads who did it before me. There was Try Hard Ninja. There was Team Headkick. There was uh, another guy called Bryceye, who were all doing kind of uh, songs about video games. And I discovered them when I started getting into it. And funny enough, it wasn't through, it was through watching Call of Duty videos that we all kind of discovered each other at that point. So, uh, yeah, it was an interesting world. I wanted to ask you specifically, so we've been talking about how you do everything yourself, including obviously the vocals. And, um, you know, that's how you and I got to know one another was doing some vocal work. And that was really fun. But but way before you obviously were doing this way before that, because that was only sort of recently. And I wanted to see um, when because you talked about the band that uh, you were that was your baby that was kind of getting signed and um, that changed after you went to YouTube or, or that led you to end up going to YouTube. But were you the vocalist there? Have you always done vocals? Uh, did you do vocals growing up? What's your background as a vocalist? Um, yeah, I always wanted to sing my own songs. And it's always been a kind of a dichotomy for me because it's always also been the part of my work that I'm the least confident in. 
Um, I've never felt I'm a great singer. And I've had like uh, other people tell me that too. (laughs) But the thing is, I don't care about that enough to not sing my own songs because they're my songs and I want to sing them. So you take take what you get. It's my voice or go cover it yourself. You know. Oh, well, yeah, but I I think you are better, much better vocalist than you realize, because even people who are critical, it's like people are listening to you in droves, you know, and I've gotten to work with you really directly. And I I don't, you know, but singers are so hard on themselves. Even if I enjoy it, the singer themselves asking them if they enjoy it, they may never. It's a tough one. I suppose it's the most vulnerable part of you that goes into a song, isn't it? It's the part that's the most easy to hear the flaws in. And and like, I'm a really shit guitar player and no one has ever, ever pointed that out in 10 years. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my guitar playing, my mix engineer, Frank, like, because I, I started outsourcing my mixing like a year and a half ago. And uh, my mix guy, Frank, when he sees my guitar parts, he's got like his head in his hands and <laughs> he's just like, oh, God, <laughs> it's so such a mess. And no, but no one gives a shit. My audience has never, ever noticed how scrappy and like messy my guitar playing is. But when you sing badly, they will notice that. But I've improved a lot, like since this, even since this project started, I've improved a lot vocally. And I think it, like really in the last year in particular, like if I, I meant to show it to you before we did this, but the vocals I've done for this collaboration with Peyton, um, they're the most metally I've ever sounded and I'm like super proud of that so Ooh, I'm so excited oh I'm so excited I can't wait to hear that one thing you're pointing out though is that, that I again I uh, think a lot of people you know even though we look at ourselves and we gauge our own progress we might say oh well I have mine is slower subs than someone else or something but I think a lot of my newer vocal clients and students would like people just starting out would look at you you know very admirably and I think what I like about doing the podcast and getting down to the behind the scenes with folks is realizing I think that like you mentioned my guitar playing's not perfect I'm not perfect I do this I do that but I believe in this I leave in an obscene amount of mistakes (laughs) in my songs (laughs) <laughs> well, I want folks to know that, though. And I think that this is a thing that a lot of the people that I coach obsess over. And a reason why some of them may actually never get their foot out the door. But the real the reality is it's it's finished, not perfect. Right. <laughs> so. uh, yeah. And and that's a really difficult thing to know when it's because it's never really like this is why outsourcing the mixing has been great for me, because there have been so many times I've put out a mix, uh, put out a song and then regretted later that I didn't like how the snare drum sounded or Mm. and funny enough vocals is rarely an issue for me that way because I know how to mix my vocals yeah finishing a song is impossible (laughs) well finish not perfect because I have so many people who so many vocal clients and if they're new they just get absolutely paralyzed and I kind of don't blame them this is a really a world of like not you know it's not like and back in the day your first forays out might be in front of a small crowd but they're not in front of like the entire internet potentially. I mean, the the scariest part to a new musician is like, you could actually go viral becoming a meme. You can get known for being, uh, look at look at Rebecca Black or something, you know. So it just I, who, I by, feel, who by the way put out a really good song last year. <laughs> oh, who's totally evolved as an adult yeah. and everything. But you know what I'm saying? As a kid learning, I can't imagine the pressure of going out into the world in that kind of world. And I want more people to realize, to see folks like you that are out there, that are successful, that put themselves out there, that are doing real well. But it isn't this exercise, you know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I worry that I'm coming across a little negative here. And and please don't interpret that as my feeling about the internet on my project because I'm I'm extremely happy and I love my job and there's so many positives to all of this. I just tend to with myself <laughs> maybe be a little more critical and, and, and there is a time and a place for that because that's how you get better is by by accepting your own flaws. And if I thought I was the greatest singer in the world, I would have never come and found you, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now I'm a much better singer. <laughs> 
well, you work hard, and this is also what gives you. I think this is the other key is is not believing that you know you've gotten way more subscribers than you could be like. You could kind of we could all delude ourselves off of numbers and be like, I don't have any more work to do. But I think that's when we have the most work to do, right? When the audience gets bigger, if you're serious. Exactly. Yeah, because if the most people who are going to hear your your mistakes and your flaws, I have to say though about mistakes, I don't like perfect music at all I'm even hearing it I never thought metal would go this way but in recent years I've heard so much metal that's like time aligned and everything's perfectly in time and and the vocals are really heavily auto-tuned like really heavily and I don't like that at all I can't I just physically my my ears and brain don't like how that sounds I like music that's not perfectly in tune and perfectly in time and has a little bit of heart and soul to it, you know. I don't use um, auto-tune, like, I prefer not to. <laughs> it's like just one of those things where if I can't get, I'll just sing it and sing it and sing it until I get it right, you know. I just prefer not to use it if I possible. hear you. <laughs> you know, it's like... <laughs> because also the way someone tunes your vocals, you know, so I've had a lot of experiences over the years with people like engineering and tuning my vocals and... And just recently, um, I just put my foot down and was like, I'm just doing it myself from now on. Yeah. And I just tuned yeah. a bunch of my husband's vocals for him, too, because all these producers are demanding, and this is metal stuff, that that's the standard. Mm. But uh, neither it's one of us, be. like, actually need it. So I've got to go through. The reason yeah. why I like doing it is if they're going to insist on it, then I want to go through and do it a specific way where it leaves a lot of flaws, <laughs> basically. Exactly. Where it isn't yeah. a robot tuning. And, like, for example, when people scoop. Yeah, we never needed that before auto-tune. So why do we... You know, I I don't, and this thing, Ugh, I don't, terrible. I don't have an ethical problem with any singer who wants to use that. I just personally don't like how it sounds because to me it doesn't sound natural or human, you know. Well, and my younger students, some of them are so accustomed to hearing all of the auto-tuned perfection in metal and all this stuff now that if I play them things from before the year 2000, especially really old things where the tuning's all over the place, like from the 60s where like the instruments are also out of tune and things like that. They, their ears are, they're just like, ah, oh, it sounds so dissonant to them. And it's just, a, and so it's really bizarre because also I think mathematically tuned stuff also has its own sound dissonance, if you will. It doesn't sound natural. To me, yeah, it really does. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, we, I don't know, I just... I think we did it once when I had been really sick and I had the flu and I didn't even notice until afterwards that this line was out and he was like, you know, you could go back and like fix this and whatever, or I can just sit here in five seconds and just do this. And and I was like, all right, fucking fine. But, uh, right, if he, you're sick. Yeah, and yeah. the crux that I'm in is um, where all the engineers, this is what they want, you know? This is what they... And if so, the, the, the problem is, is if someone tunes your vocals, the problem with tuning is um, you can do a lot of things with tuning software that you didn't actually sing. And I mean that in the bad way. Like, I've yeah, had... Exactly. Uh, mathematics doesn't know you know the accidentals and the scales and i've had situations where um you know people will just snap it to the scale but that's not actually the note you actually sang <laughs> so it's not what you wow. said to begin yeah. with it's actually the wrong note it's tuning it to the uh tuning the blues or the pentaton the chromaticism out of it you know um, so that's another thing. Could People could tune it and it could actually be something you did not even sing. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I don't want to, sp- like, I hate spending too long on this topic because I get a bit ranty and people, okay. again, I don't want to, I don't want to come across like I think anyone's less of an artist for using it. Just personally, it's just I your don't, preference. I yeah. just don't like the sound of it. And I don't like these like perfectly aligned, almost I think there's a there's definitely a place for those kind of like jittery guitars and stuff. They're a cool effect, but when everything's so perfect, it it doesn't leave a whole lot of room for heart to my ears, you know. I agree with that. And obviously lots of people agree because there's lots of people listening to your music and enjoying it. And I think also that might be one reason why you stand out, you know, in a sea of tuned perfection. 
uh, a little bit more organic artists are going to stand out. I think it sounds better to people's ear in some ways, you know, without them knowing why. And I think that's really interesting because um, of all of the um, the guys in, in, I suppose, in the same or similar spheres to me doing like nerdy music, I have by far the oldest audience out of all of those. And I think that A, is based on the genres I do, but also maybe a little bit based on that I'm less... Uh, inclined to use modern effects and things like that, you know? I agree because, as I was mentioning earlier, my younger folks have a different uh, ears for listening to the music and how they gauge it. Let's circle back around because as a vocalist, especially in this big song, the big song that we're talking about for anybody who might not be on the train yet, which they will be soon, is uh, Valhalla Calling. And what's really neat is, so you did some really deep, layered kind of harmonics and even some throat singing level harmonics on this Valhalla Calling. I, w- I mean, and it was one of your biggest, I think it might give people that ASMR kind of feel. It was one of your biggest songs. I've been told that a lot with that song that it gives that people ASMR. I think my because my voice is very soft, um, it has a very soft, warm tone to it. I don't have a whole lot of upper mid range in my voice which usually is not not great for a rock or metal singer. But I, I, I think that's somewhat why people get an ASMR. And uh, the layering as well. I, I, I've always loved layering because layering is such an easy way to uh, deal with vocal limitations. <laughs> Let's put yes. it that way. <laughs> oh, yes. And it's been a common... I mean, I think the godfather of layering was really Brian Wilson. A lot of people in the audio community credit the Beach Boys, as funny as that is. People always laugh when I say that. I'm like, oh, I'm like, talk to an audio nerd, though. Ask him about, yeah. you know. Yeah. And ever since then, it's been an industry standard. Yeah, for, for me, it was listening to Enya as a kid. I love oh. Enya, and her vocal layering is fantastic. I love it. And um, I like to recreate that effect where there's like, a whole bunch of you singing but it can get a little bit out of hand and I feel bad for my mix guy Frank because like that song had enough layers in it anyway but now this collaborative version it's got like 170 tracks I think about like 100 of which are vocal vocal layers (laughs) (laughs) this is the other thing I love making transparent to the folks listening who are learning I often have to explain some of these recording concepts to people that are just vocalists uh, at how much layering they're hearing in a commercial recording so is that the most amount of layers you've ever had on a vocal recording? I think so yeah even the original version of that song that was just me singing has I don't know how many exactly but it's definitely more than 40 like vocal layers altogether. Wow that's so impressive and and just to kind of explain to the audience are these multiple layers of the same thing to add depth, some of them? and Or are they different harmonic parts? What are you doing in the layers? It differs for me with every song. Like there'll be some songs where I'll want just a solo vocal for the verse and then two for the chorus. But in Valhalla Calling, there are various different harmonies. I think there, at any given time, there's like six different harmonies singing together, like a low octave, mid-octave, high-octave, and then various thirds and whatever in between those. And each one of those was layered four times. So there's four of the main lead vocal, four of each harmony, four of the low-octave. So I basically sing each part four times. And all together then, when you've got all these different vocal parts, four times each, it sounds like this big (laughs) choir of Vikings, you know? That is so epic. And how long does it take you to record that many layers? Do you do this over uh, a period of time? This is why I hate recording vocals, because, again, I'm not the world's greatest singer. It's not something that ever came really natural to me. And it takes me a long, long time because there's sometimes I have to do a take like eight or nine times before I pitch it perfectly the way I want to to hear it. And when you're dealing with over like a, a thousand parts like a thousand vocal parts, because I don't sit down and sing the whole song from start to finish. I'll very rarely do that. If it's like, Mm. there's one or two times I've done that for like more folk kind of songs. But for this one, I literally was singing it line by line, piece by piece over the course of a few days. And there's over a thousand vocal parts in that song. So 
when you're an average singer <laughs> and your pitching can be off sometimes and you're singing it again and again and again till you get it right but uh yeah it can take it can be very time consuming <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> plus i was fucking dying sick when i recorded that song <laughs> no way yeah really? I, had I had no the, idea i had a really bad cold that week i like oh it was not fun <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh well but i love this though the, the, this is the beautiful thing and the coolest thing about having podcasts and this kind of information to us that we didn't have back in the day but is being just sort of transparent about the flaws the difficulties the things that go into it you know because again a singer is the most neurotic of all musicians <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and we're the hardest on ourselves. You know, if, I always joke around. I'm like, well, if you love your singing, you might be crazy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Funny enough, I, I, I'm not one of those people who hates her. Like once the song is done. Yeah. And once it's finished and I'm happy with it, then I actually quite enjoy listening to my own voice. <laughs> like I listen to my own songs. I don't see the point in making something I'm not going to listen to myself. That's always yes. been my my primary motivation for making music has always been to make something I want to listen to. I like my own singing when it's finished. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, and I think, too, we all get to this uh, zen point about it. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. also uh, don't dislike listening to the final version, uh, for sure. But, yeah, if it's not done, you, you sit there and you, you cringe and you're like, I want to re-record that. And <laughs> I'm actually unhappy with the metal version I recorded because I wish I had waited a little longer until I'd had uh, my, myself and Mary did a lesson recently that was more focused on me getting my metal tone, but getting more power into the voice behind it. And I wish I'd waited till after that lesson to do the metal version. But that's been corrected on this uh, new collaborative version. So oh, I three, can't wait. three damn versions of this song. <laughs> How cool. This is so epic. Well, you know, but though it shows you that, you know, you know, yes, on the one hand, there are I do. I agree with you. I do know a lot of really talented people that haven't gotten to where they wanted to get to. But, you know, you found a niche and an audience at the same time. You didn't necessarily force it into a box. You know, you just went out there and started doing some things and were like, hmm, you know, people are. And it very gradually gradually consistently grew over time and you do it with just yourself you know and you do it with all the perfections and imperfections thereof you know and people just being yourself is always the best policy you're not trying to be in any sort of specific mode you know your voice is the certain tone it's a certain range and you double down on it and you own it absolutely and it worked incredibly well for you i think when people also try not to be themselves i think studying vocals is is cool in one way because it opens up the potential of what you can do that you've never done before but at the end of the day even if you learn how to do a bunch of different styles it's still you doing it yeah exactly you you know, you got to be yourself, you know. That's something that, that comes up in the comments sometimes. Like, how do you manage to do these total different genres, but it still feels like you? And I think for me, I look at it the other way around. It's always going to feel like you and the genre. And the genre for me just comes with experience in production and stuff like that. Like, you'll know what instruments to use and what, what chords to use to give a certain feeling or... And what levels to put something in a mix to evoke certain emotions and stuff like that. That just comes with experience. That's all genre is to me. But it's always going to feel like you if you wrote it and sang it, you know. That's, that's so awesome. I wanted to see what are the, what do you feel like are the wildest vocals you've ever done? The most recent stuff? The craziest vocals you've ever done? I guess I don't know what I mean by crazy. Out of the comfort zone? Yeah, maybe that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. There's a couple of metal songs with like super crazy Rob Halford falsetto screams on them. <laughs> that's great. Oh my God. Yeah. I want to do some more of those actually. I haven't done those in a while because they always surprise people because my voice is quite deep. But uh, people aren't expecting that kind of... <laughs> kind of shit out of me you know <laughs> i love that you get them by surprise i love it and it shows you you know that whatever your voice is we all have that high end relative to our Absolutely. range and even a low voice person can use that you know yeah and falsetto falsetto is definitely difficult to use in in my music because the songs don't often lend themselves to it um because a lot of them tend to be kind of minor key and a little bit darker and a little bit more moody. 
But uh, there certainly are some of the more like preposterous songs that are very unapologetically over the top and cheesy where you get to let loose a little and just, you know, go full on Rob Halford. <laughs> and that's a really good point, too, is not every vocal style works for every song. Absolutely. Just like I think Chris Cornell is a good example. There are some songs where he could he did exactly what you're describing. He could do the hair metal you know, bordering on hair metal because it was the 90s, like highs. But there are some songs that he wrote that that wouldn't even make sense, like Black exactly, Hole Sun yeah. or something. <laughs> it doesn't yeah, make I mean, I, sense. I even change my accent depending on the song, you know? <laughs> oh, interesting. I did not yeah. know that. And now by changing your accent, you you mean varieties of English accents, obviously, but I mean, yeah. are there any that you prefer specifically? Again, I, I don't really think too much about it. It's something that just kind of tends to happen. Like if you're singing a song that's big, bluesy guitars and you're and you've got kind of a swagger and you're gonna start singing like that you know you're gonna have an american accent um because we grew up on american music in ireland and it's almost we have to trick ourselves out of singing in an american accent but then for songs like valhalla calling or songs like my ones about the irish mythological figures i very much sing those in my own in fact, it's maybe a little bit more of an exaggerated version of my own accent, my Irish accent, because, I mean, I grew up, well, my, I didn't grow up there, but my entire family's from Waterford, which is an actual, the biggest Viking settlement in Ireland. So that culture wow. is hugely entwined with our own. And we like we learn all about the Vikings in school. It's a huge thing here because it's our history. For me, that felt, yeah, it's okay for me to sing about that in my Irish accent because there is a huge historical crossover there. Yes. Interestingly enough, I'm aware of that from my own family. I, I have, My mom's side was all Irish immigrants. I mean, we're all descendants now. I'm a, I'm a couple generations here, American. But my mom's Irish family was all about rune stones and some very oh, interesting yeah. like viking things which always was interesting to me because it's not from scandinavia and uh, but yes they did influence the culture there and oh very much i saw that in my some of my irish relatives like even my mom had her own set of rune stones for like fortune telling type things you know like you pick a town on the east or south coast of ireland and mm -hmm. it's the chances are the vikings set up that town how neat like what the town waterford that my family's from it's literally fjord it's from the word fjord oh that is so neat it meant windy ford not water <laughs> 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 That's cool. I mean, this this is really neat that your music has tied into your own personal uh, culture and ancestry and that you could tap into the vocals and double down a little bit on a regional accent. You have a very lovely accent and speaking voice, because, particularly because it isn't super heavy. I think any regional English accent, any, because I've taught people in, I think, every English-speaking country in the world at this point, I think any of them, you can go overboard. <laughs> so There are some people in this country that you would not understand a word they say. I mean, I, I grew up doing international theatre shows when I was a teenager and stuff like that. So I, I learned on, very early on uh, how to articulate myself in a way that people from other countries, particularly non-native English speakers, could understand. Yes. And also, to t I tend to avoid Irish colloquialisms and stuff like that. So, But then there, there are times where I will say something and Americans will just go, what? What, what did you just say? Oh, yes, yes. And I think this is fascinating. I love language differences. So that to me is hilarious and fascinating. And I, I was in a band with three British people, the manager, the keyboard player, the guitar player, and a Canadian. You know, you think you're not some of these stereotypes that sort of define the culture. I would be like, oh, I'm not this American, this and that, but I totally am. And would say, it would be the opposite ways. I would say phrases to them and they would just laugh so hard sometimes because it would be such an American trope, but it's just an idiom that we use and you don't realize it sounds like it's right out of the movies or something. And it was the same for them. They would use, uh, and again, colloquialism, slang, uh, words that we simply just don't use here and it would just send me rolling. It's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> now, did you study any Irish, the Gaelic, when you were growing up and would you ever do a song in um, the native Irish language? We do, yes. Mine is very rusty because we generally don't use it after we finish school. And yeah. 
I was never fluent. Some people do get to that level, but it's very rare. I mean, when I was a teenager, I was more, I wasn't good in academia after. I was good at school up until about third year and then I discovered guitars and that was the end of academic life for me <laughs> when I picked up a guitar at 15. My Irish is not good, um, but I have put Irish into my songs a few times. The the Coo Cullen song has an Irish language section. Another one I did, Grania Whale, has an Irish language section. I'm actually working on a new version of that now with genuine trad musicians. Oh yeah, there's a song called Serona, oh. which is kind of a Celtic metal song, which also has an Irish language section in it. And that song is one of my proudest things for two reasons. Because when that album came out, it was called Metal Up and it had nothing to do with video games or any of that. It went to number one on the iTunes metal chart. And I was like ahead of all my favorite bands. <laughs> I was cool. number one ahead of Nightwish and like Iron Maiden and Black Sabbath. And I was like, yeah. And also that song got the personal approval of Devin Townsend, which was like a real like meeting. Whoa. Yeah. How neat. Yeah. How, how that's exciting. Yeah. So I wanted to, as we're getting towards uh, um, the end here, I wanted to see you doing this collaboration with the guy from TikTok. And you have some collaborations before that, but... It's rare. Yeah, it's not a lot of your content. Could you see yourself opening up to more of that? Or are there reasons no. why that's sometimes more difficult? <laughs> no, okay, so we got no. I generally don't like doing collaborations. I avoid it as much as I can. I'm too much of a maniacal control freak. And I have very particular ideas about ways I want things to be done to, a, to an absolute fault. And I, I understand that. And I'm very difficult to work with in that way. But it's my shit. And I, I believe I know how to make it work. And I, I think I'm one of those annoying people who think they know everything. <laughs> oh, yeah. I hear you, though. Yeah, this one, I mean, this one was just a very logical thing to do because both of us have different audiences with this song and we wanted to cross over and kind of share each other's audiences and like it's not a cynical move but it, it certainly would be more um it's more practical than most collaborations i've done you know like yes I, I, and i do i do quite often bring in female vocalists onto my songs when i need a certain feel that i can't give as a man you know um and i love working with female vocalists. there's some like incredible women that I uh, that I work with, like Carlene and Charm, and they've never let me down. They always do fantastic vocal work. Sometimes collaboration can be fun, but 99% of the time I prefer to avoid it. And that is another thing that really has kind of, again, with all these younger guys who are doing this similar kind of nerdy stuff, they love collaborating with each other. And I think that that is amazing because they all help each other out. And I kind of feel like the grumpy old man in the corner sometimes is like, <laughs> I am working on my own. <laughs> you know, though, I, I, I experience a lot of the same. I mean, a lot of why it can take me a longer time to make content is similar reasons. Not so much with my musical stuff, where, but it's just like, uh, I don't trust this person to edit it. <laughs> And it, and I'm the same way. I have a very specific way that I want it to be done. And to explain that to someone would be longer than actually, uh, you know, doing it. So I really get it because you have a really great thing going on it and it works. It, you know, you don't mess with a good thing. And sometimes like people are always yelling at you to do a collaboration with someone. And for me, doing a collaboration for the sake of collaborating defeats the purpose of writing a song in the first place. And I feel mm -hmm. you can you can very much dilute the song by doing that. Like, uh, I give you an example, and this might not... I, I think there might be a lot of people who disagree with me here. I love the Mongolian band, the Who band. Oh yeah, they're great. They're fantastic, but they put out two uh, remixed versions of two of their songs with American well-known singers and... Both really great singers. Uh, Lizzie Hale was one of them from Hailstorm, who her band, I yeah. think, are awesome. She's a fucking fantastic vocalist. And there was the guy from Avenged Sevenfold, I think, might have been the other one. Or maybe it was... No, it was the guy from Papa Roach was the other one. Oh, okay. And I did... I just didn't like the collaborative versions nearly as much as the uh, originals. And it wasn't because there were bad singers or anything like that. It just, for me the heart and soul of the song had been somewhat diluted by these collaborative versions. And I don't ever want 
to, uh, well, um, I don't know. Maybe I'm doing that. Uh, who knows? But you know? No, but the th- no, you're right, though. It, it, again, if there's a way that it's working for you, and again, I think there is a lot of focus now on the way that entertainment is uh, monetized and industrialized way more than ever before because of the digital era and kind of anybody can get access to it. So there's millions of courses and there's all these strategies. But I think that you're kind of flying the flag for something that we shouldn't forget about that should almost be the primary thing, which is letting the soul of the music, the whole reason to make the art shine for itself. Yeah, the song should come first. Like the biggest, the worst example I can think of is Taylor Swift's Bad Blood, which is a a, a song that I absolutely love. It's one of the best pop songs I've ever heard. But I'm talking about the version on her album because they brought in Kendrick Lamar to do the verses on the single version. And listen, this is another absolutely incredible artist. Kendrick Lamar is amazing. His lyrics are just out of this world. But in that song for me, he just completely ruined. The verses and the chorus feel like two completely different pieces of, of art. You know, they just feel so cynical. It felt so cynical and... To me, that song lost something in the collaboration version, you know. But then there are a lot of people who disagree because that song has like, what, a billion views. So. <laughs> you know, that's what's hard to say. It's like, well, yeah. there's a lot of people who all, who like it, you know. Yeah, exactly. I'm not saying I'm right here. <laughs> but that's the whole point. There is no right or wrong in art. Yeah. And I love being able to sit down with you guys and look at different ways that it's made. Because I want it. My goal is to help people and help vocalists get out there and to help them maybe be a little less neurotic in a world that would like outwardly criticize them as much as we criticize ourselves in our own head and to kind of look for different paths. There isn't just one path and it isn't all uh, strategic moves like that. That was obviously like maybe the record label was like, you need to put Kendrick on this. Like, you know, that stuff happens all the time. And I think it's cool to hear from your perspective about different paths, different perspectives on, on how to get the same kind of get to yeah. art you know and 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 again I, I this is not even it's not even slightly coming from a place of judging anyone who wants to do that or if if you want to do that i say go for it and especially do even you know even if you're doing it for money just you know off you go go for it go, <laughs> you know make that money but um if you're doing it because you feel it adds something special to the song then that to me is even better than you know Absolutely. And it really enhances it. What I wanted to ask you now is where do you see yourself going with Miracle of Sound? Um, Are you just going to ride the waves and see where it takes you? Do you have any sort of intent where you want it to go? (laughs) I have always, that's kind of always what I've done is just gone with the flow and hope for the best. I've never, I don't promote myself. I'm not good with that stuff. This year, actually, I was severely burnt out and didn't really do a whole lot of new music this year. I put out a video uh, I think it was in March about how I'm just making some changes for a little while I didn't have 10 video game songs in me this year you know I'm only doing one Mm -hmm. and I did my little sea shanty I'm doing this collaboration I'm working on uh, an an album of instrumentals with no vocals at all just very simple stuff for me to kind of get me back into the place because I never want to become too uh, cynical about how I make my work. Like, if I had any business sense, Mary, I would have made five more Viking songs this year. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, but also, you know, uh, we've joked about this sometimes before, but, you know, we ha- you, you can't, you cannot be burned out. You cannot, first of all, you wouldn't make good stuff in a constant state of burnout. And if you get so burned out, you know, there's all this focus on like, you know, again, content, content, content. But I, I've had to also take lulls personally where other things just take precedence or whatever. Um, and it's because we can't be content machines. Like we can't live for the algorithm. It, it will literally kill you if you do that, you know. Yeah, I have done it before where I've made substandard work because I've been trying to do that. And uh, I didn't want to repeat that. And also I was just very, I think, I think a lot of people. People were very tired and burnt out this year. I think it was just a year where I, when we, when the lockdown happened, I, I thought to myself, I'm going to be so creative now. I'm going to do so much work. I'm going to be in my studio. I've 
had the least creative period in the last 20 years this year. <laughs> oh, you know? I actually agree with that. I thought there's, been, you know, there's been lots going on. But yeah, the whole world has been just random things turning upside down. And many people have felt less productive, even though they've been at home. Yeah, I think everyone's a little bit shell-shocked and tired and just... No matter where, like even no matter where you stand on the political spectrum, the last four or five years has been exhausting for everyone. Yes. You know, it's like if you're at all paying attention to what's going on in the world, no matter where you stand, there are many stressful things happening. You know, it's like, yes. Yeah, so, yes. And also just looking at the news every day is stressful. There's a change every day. Do, do you wear a mask? Don't you wear a mask? Can you go outside? Can't you go outside? <laughs> like, it's like a change every day. You have to change. It's very tough. It's extremely difficult. And we have to be forgiving with ourselves. And I think, too, just realize that, you know, you. I got to this point where I, I was just like, I can't, I can't, I physically can't care. There's no way I can do my lessons. Uh the other things going on in my life, the bands that I'm in, you know, what people have to remember, like your life is not being a content creator. Uh, you got married, you have like a life, you know, that you're actually living. You can't only <laughs> ever breathe out. Yes, exactly. You know, Hold you on. need to take a breath. I love that. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's cool. Yeah, it's like, it's like singing without breath support, you know, you just, <laughs> all you're going to get is a little rasp. <laughs> The creative brain works the same way, I find. I think, yeah, I think it's best when people ride the waves where they genuinely feel the energy and they can put out a lot of content and sort of accept the waves where it's not feeling that way. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things that, again, there are other people out there who are much better about that than me, like Peyton, the guy I'm collabing with. He's fantastic with that. He's on top of TikTok. He's he has like a whole album of Viking stuff planned now and he's so good with like like marketing and all that stuff. And meanwhile, I'm just like, oh, I'm too tired for all of that. You know, <laughs> I just want to make a song and hope it does well. <laughs> yes. So I wish I were more like more like that, you know, but I'm unfortunately not. And uh, like I've always struggled with like mental health issues and stuff. And like I had to accept to myself this year that sometimes I just go through mild depressive phases mm -hmm. and I, I just can't get anything done when I'm in those phases. I try and everything I, I make is shit. <laughs> so I have to just sometimes wait until my brain is ready to heal itself and, and, and then be creative, you know. Yes, and I think, though, even the people that we view as very high-powered creators, because I have some friends like that, too, that I really admire, like my friend Finn McKenty at the Punk Rock NBA. Oh, just... I, watch, I watch his channel. He's, he's great. Oh, yes, and I've known him since way before the channel, and oh. even when he was like, guys, I need 100 subscribers to get my custom, what is it, your URL, I think. Watching him, he's just an utter machine, you know, like the way he does the podcast, like everything he does on time, all the time. And clearly it works because the YouTube algorithm loves punk rock NBA. It's like, yeah. oh, I, I, I think I clicked on one video once and then like my recommendations was like all his stuff. But it's good shit, so I don't mind. <laughs> no, it's great shit. Like at the same time, I, I don't, I feel like it's very hard to be someone like him or some of these other guys is very singularly unique. They have skill at managing that. And I think most of us actually aren't that way. I'm not that way. I'm much more like you. And I'm yeah. much more identify with the way that you do things. Yeah. And I have to ride those things. And I've also had to accept that about myself. Sometimes I do get down. I'm like, I'm not putting out enough. I'm not doing enough. Not enough, not enough. Everyone around me is like putting out. And I've just started to realize, you know what? I am not that person. My life is just not able to be organized that way. You're doing your best <laughs> and that's all you can do, you know? Exactly. Isn't that such a hard thing to learn? And I, I think a lot of people who are listening to this will probably agree if they're creatives. It's knowing how to learn the signs when you're burnt out and knowing when to stop for a little while. Absolutely. It's so difficult to know when. Because there's always that moment where you're like, oh, you know, I just if I push a little further now, I'll just get this song finished and it'll be out in time. And and then you just completely burn out and you're depressed for a week. And it's just 
Oh, yeah. And I think this is more the realistic human experience. We're ebbs and flows of things. We aren't machines like that. And so we can't perform like a computer algorithmic machine. The algorithm, the computer wants to keep feeding people content. But the human being is not... You know, so you just got to do your best when you have the most energy to put towards it. Because you can see, like, you put out one super quality song and now it's pretty much propelled your whole year. Yeah. Well, this is the interesting thing is I've done less work this year than I did of any year in the last 20 years. And my views have doubled. So (laughs) that's that's kind of what I'm saying is it doesn't always depend on and I think it is very nuanced. I mean, obviously, people who can put out great stuff really consistently, they're going to win. But at the same time, I think that when things draw attention, you also get flows like where all of a sudden you're getting lots of attention relative to maybe even just one good quality thing you know yeah and and there's also the fact that you have to be realistic and recognize that it's very possible that this will plummet as as fast as it 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 went up (laughs) excuse my phrasing (laughs) what what goes up must go down you know yeah (laughs) yeah that's very true where all of a sudden it can drop off very heavily even if you are following it up with similar content that can happen it can just not what if for whatever reason the algorithm decides, yeah, we don't like it as much as that one. And but that's actually a really interesting thing I've seen this year is older songs that are like five, four or five years old are like now doing crazy views as well compared to what they ever did before because of this one song blowing up. Which is nice for me because I, I really like that song, but I don't like feel it's one of my like best top five songs I've ever written kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I've got Songs that for me I'm more uh, proud of creatively than that one. So it's nice that they're also getting a little bit more attention now as well, you know. This is one thing that I love about YouTube over other social media platforms. One big algorithmic difference between YouTube and other platforms is that old content, which dies on Instagram, on Facebook, completely dies old content on YouTube. YouTube is not a time frame thing. And so it will suggest related content regardless of the age. Especially music. Especially music, right? So I think it's really unique. I think that's why I prefer to hang out there a lot and why I don't care about other platforms as much. I agree. Absolutely. Yeah. So I wanted to finish up here and thank you so much for coming on the podcast because I actually would love to have another episode with you because I think you have a lot of fascinating insight. And that's what I'm trying to give vocalists here is both, you know, technical insight from the more instructor type people that I have on here and then career insight into this. You know, again, they look at people and they see numbers, but what's the how in going to the numbers? And you have a totally unique and different approach. And I want to, and I thank you for sharing that with us because it really illustrates other pathways and I think again it makes people breathe a sigh of relief like an I can I think a lot of people think if they don't you know again get up to some kind of perceived level that they can't and I think talking to people like you realizes well there are a lot of different ways to go about this and there's a lot of I can out there And so I wanted to see at the end here, do you have any, I don't know, words of wisdom or pieces of advice for maybe some of the younger voice hacks community that are kind of looking at the YouTube and they're maybe writing their own music and wanting to get out there? Would you have any little snippets of uh, last advice here for them? Well, one thing I always say is that persistence is as important as talent if not more. I love that. You can have mediocre talent and if you're dedicated and persistent and you don't let failure stop you, you can still do great things, you know. I mean, I'm 40 now and I just had my first ever massive hit, so, <laughs> you know. Oh, yeah. I've had hits before, but not not like this, you know. And I've been trying for this since I was 15 in 1995, so. Well, and then also we were just talking about Finn. I think he didn't start his channel till he turned 40. Yeah, I think that it's something that isn't taught enough to young people nowadays in the era of social media and particularly with things like TikTok where attention spans are shorter and a different kind of content tends to become popular really quickly and then fade away really quickly is that it's okay to fail multiple times like over and over and over and often that's how you end up with, you know, the best 
work is by learning through those failures. And I think a lot of people get very discouraged these days if they're not good at something straight away. Just realize that we all suck at first and it's okay to suck because you'll suck a little bit less next time and a little bit less after that until you're really, really good, (laughs) you know? I 100% agree. And you've given some really great quotes here that like, uh, I'm already like, oh my gosh, I'm going to use that. I'm going to screenshot that for your for your podcast because you've, you've got some really wonderful uh, things that you've said here that I think people are going to get a lot of inspiration from. Thank you for talking Good. to us today. And where can people follow you if they want to, if they don't already? Well, first off, thanks for having me on. It was really nice. I had a lot of fun. Um, as you probably noticed when you start me talking about these things, I just don't shut up. <laughs> but you're the kind of guest that I want to have because yeah. some people aren't like that. So <laughs> and it's hard yeah. to get information out of them in a, in a podcast. I, I, I just vomit words everywhere. <laughs> it's way better, much more interesting yeah. podcast guests, let me tell you, after doing a few of these now. Okay. So you can find me in all the usual spots for music, Spotify, YouTube, under Miracle of Sound. Obviously, you'll want to check out Valhalla Calling because that's the most popular song, but stick around and listen to a few of the others as well because it might surprise you like how different the songs are to that song and to each other. And like I do a lot, a lot of genres from like cyber metal to like folk to jazz to pretty much anything you can think of. I haven't done I haven't done rap and it's not something I'm interested in doing, Mm -hmm. but I do at some point want to get a really good rapper on one of my songs because I like the art form. It's just not something I'm comfortable doing, but that'd be great. Yeah, I want to get a really cool rapper in on a song someday. Anyway, sorry, I'm going off tangent again. That's okay. (laughs) Well, thank you, Gavin, for joining us. Everybody check out Miracle of Sound. And this (laughs) has been another episode of The Voice Hacks podcast bye bye that wraps up this episode of the voice hacks podcast thank you so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe rate and review the show 